Welcome to podcast number 37, Self-Doubt, Self-Worth. I think we all at one time or another, or even sometimes continuously, have experienced uh, self-doubt, meaning that we doubt our abilities, our physical appearance, intelligence, and really our value. And that's more especially when using society's comparisons. This particular world we live in has established a value for everything, and that includes people. Now, should some people be far more important than others because of money, position, fame, religious background, so forth? The answer is, of course not. But strangely, while most of us would say no, we also seem to be driven to support the same system with which we don't agree. I think that's because the system has set up for itself some tools to keep us in this comparison system. Uh, the system has some good marketing tools. They have very effective punishment methods, teaching methods. It has traditions and history. Now, the marketing tools you see in our society for self-worth, they're almost everywhere. Media and entertainment, social media, to even those around us who are already ingrained in it and instructed in it. Now, we are instructed actually from a very young age in this society as to who we are and how we fit into an already molded society. And typically, if we step out of our traditional roles, this system, society, is quick to remind us of who we are and inflict the punishments. Now, most often when we discuss this worldly hierarchy of value, uh, the aspects that come forward are very transitory, temporal, and physical. Money, beauty, outward talent, physical strength, intelligence, race, religious affiliation, position, power, all have a way of being very, very temporary in nature. Now, standard role models and rules shift with every new generation and wind of society. But in general, the society means, maintains a system that is quite rigid. We are expected to stay in our lane, learn, our, learn the rules, and play our part. Now, this means that the world has set up a set of rigid standards to which it is going to compare us. And generally, it is not intended for us to measure up to those standards. Now, comparisons are what the world uses to create value. Richest person, most beautiful, most intelligent, the most powerful, most underrated. Uh, we live in a world that spends all of its time chasing comparisons, creating and recreating a value system to which actually very few people are considered worthy. Uh, the system in many ways is warped. It actually creates no real value, but espouses that your value can only be created by more temporary physical things, being talented, being popular, the right body size, the right shape, the right hair color, the right skin color, the most intelligent, the most monetary value. Now, for us to belong to certain groups, we have to accept the systems of the systems of value that they have and generally must make all the required changes in ourselves to satisfy the demands of that particular system. If we don't accept it or attempt to cry out against the negative aspects of it, uh, we generally receive the punishment, which most often comes in the form of being ostracized, bullied, criticized, you can say yelled at, ignored, sometimes even violence. Now I get it. We do need good social rules, written and unwritten, so that we can interact with each other peacefully. We need some type of guidelines in our lives so that we know what we can say, what we can't say, how we should treat each other, how we should go about working together in life in general. We need rules to understand how even financial interactions happen. I'm not against good systems of laws and standards and comparisons that allow for us to interact with each other on equal terms. We need them. 
We need good systems of government, civil societies, rules, laws written and unwritten for us to kind of coexist with each other and be able to work together. Now, one could imagine what might happen if we decided that simply there were no longer any rules written or unwritten when we drive. Basically, chaos would ensue because no one would be able to determine how we should interact with each other, including at stoplights, stop signs, on the road when we're passing one another. Ultimately, driving would be a mess. No one would really get anywhere safely. So it is true that we do need some rules and standards. However, when it comes to determining one's value within society, I think that a great disservice has been done to the world at large with systems that evaluate individuals based on physical traits and talents or possessions. I don't think that too many people would disagree that an individual on an individual basis, but it seems that we as kind of more naturally look to systems of evaluation to determine who we are and our place in the world. Now, I don't think we do this because of the opposing, well, I do think we do so because the opposing feeling of being lost and alone and without identity is something we just simply can't face as individuals. Our hearts and desires are naturally drawn to belonging and an identity, especially close family ties. I don't think that our strong desire to belong is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think that it really comes from the problems associated with the veil of forgetfulness that we inherited upon becoming mortal members of this world. We at one time had an identity and a group to which we belonged. We knew who we were and our place in life before this earth. When those identities were lost with the memories and the veil, that created them but the feelings did not go away. We had a great desire to replace those memories. And without any other influences, we turned to the influences and standards that the world has created. Now, I could say that within the church, we don't have these systems of hierarchy, but the reality is is that we are all learning, and so the worldly systems do at times bleed into church life, and probably far too often. Comparisons are made about service positions held, Temple recommend holder or not, spiritual or not, so much. Scripturally intelligent, doctrinally sound, whether you have children, whether you have a temple marriage, the lists go on and on. I don't think it's difficult to find the comparisons. Now, I don't particularly care for these systems or these comparisons, and I don't think that most people really do, especially when they don't measure up. However, the tendency and nature of our minds and bodies to buy into these systems is really, really what's important, what I want to discuss today. We have those tendencies to continuously look for value in our lives. We, but we naturally focus on what is missing rather than truly fully understanding our value, meaning that often negative traits in our lives far outweigh the positive characteristics. Most of us have a tendency to feel that we don't measure up in many ways to other people, both in worldly characteristics and spiritual ones. Now, by not measuring up, we feel as though we don't belong to particular groups particular friendships, cliques, we don't belong in our ward, we don't belong in our stake, and even feel as that we don't measure up as a member of the church. When you consider that this feeling of doubt is almost universal to every man and woman in some form, then it is far easier to see that for someone struggling with darker, more negative influence influences in their lives, like mental illness, how magnified those feelings of doubt can be in their world. Mental illness causes great difficulties when the world of comparison and then self-doubt and then self-doubt comes crashing down. 
You can feel as though anything you do is far inferior to others and that you really don't fit into any particular group. And that includes even church membership. You don't feel worthy of even the atonement. Now, I do understand that the brethren have made a point of the fact that you're always worthy of access to the atonement. And it's very true. And I would say that in almost every case where mental illness is a difficulty, that the atonement is even more fully accessible, no matter the issue. But it is one thing to be able to hear the message and another thing to really believe it. That belief requires confirming spiritual messages on a more consistent basis that the individual is worthy or at least has the ability to access the atonement. Mental illness darkens those messages so often that very few even get through. This means that not only does the person not feel worthy, but they really don't feel as though they can fix that worthiness or even desire to fix it. One small sin or issue or negative impact can feel like a mountain of effort to overcome, and small failures to accomplish things like church callings, service opportunities, even temple attendance and scripture reading and prayer can can lead to giving up on the whole matter of being a member of the church. Now, I know that might sound strange to someone who really hasn't felt mental illness, Certainly not reading your scriptures for a day or a shortened prayer or even a missed assignment are not going to be disqualifying offenses to the Lord, especially when you are dealing with emotional distress and pain to a level that is seriously affecting your life. However, that is exactly what it feels like in mental illness. The world can be a very cruel and unforgiving environment for someone who is trying their best to work through serious emotional issues. Now, the problem of magnifying weaknesses in ourselves, often causes other serious issues, mental issues, to arise in a person. And these are actually symptoms of the problem. Concerns begin to arise to compensate for this added distress of value. And such things as bulimia, anorexia, cutting, suicidal thoughts, suicide itself, isolating behaviors, further develop depression and anxiety. Often the stress and distress become so problematic for those that have mental illness that changes in behavior, clothing, music, and even spiritual concerns can occur very rapidly. Now, I know that these changes in behavior can be concerning for those on the outside watching. The reality is is that the individual is simply acting out their feelings through their behavior, meaning that changes in behavior are due to serious emotional and mental self-doubt that is exacerbated by the illness. Now, often teenage and young adult life is full of changes, both in the body, mind, and certainly the emotions. And to look for some type of stability in all of that, or somewhere to belong in all of the chaos, can be really tough. At times, pressures get far too difficult. Individuals will give up on all forms of standards and measurement, and really avoid all types of groups. They will actively seek not to be involved in the social groupings, and purposely oppose these social social groupings. Now, the reason that this happens is that the body really desires for our feelings to match a real cause. The modifications of clothing, outward appearance, behaviors, and so forth, is so that the person can feel true to what they are feeling. And so the inside feeling of serious distress matches the outside appearance. So what is the answer to the problem of serious self-doubt and the complicating mental illness? Uh, the answer to all the issues with self-confidence is doubt, and doubt is really to develop a stable relationship with Father in Heaven and the Savior. 
through prayer and spiritual activities. Now, this is accomplished generally through loving families who provide for a set of true standards of value and examples who, through compassion and understanding, seek the best for everyone in the family. Now, that is the standard. Now, this requires a stable family network and parents who have developed spiritual capacities to see themselves as they really are without the world's influence. As we know, families and adults are rarely fully developed, and adults often are still working through their own issues of doubt and self-confidence. But even with all of that, its faults and difficulties, the family still is the best place for self-confidence to develop and for spiritual development to occur. If the famous family in which the individual is involved is seriously lacking, the children often attempt to find the same belonging or family belonging in other groups. And most often these groups are outside of church boundaries and standards. While these groups can provide a sense of belonging, they often come with underdeveloped standards of behavior and little experience with spiritual matters. So while the need for belonging is fulfilled in the individual, the development of self-confidence actually never occurs. Now, beyond what could be considered more normal difficulties with development of self-confidence and a stable relationship with family and God, mental illness adds to the problem by limiting the development of relationships, spiritual or otherwise. It is very likely that if a mental illness develops during a teenage or young adult years, that a testimony will struggle to develop sufficiently to provide the necessary relationships to overcome doubts and concerns of the illness. Now, for me, this was a serious issue throughout my life. I always wanted to fit in and be part of various social groups, but I actually struggled significantly to develop even the basic relationships that would allow for it and for a testimony that could support understanding what my true value was. I always had a self-doubt and self-confidence issue. This is part of a mental illness. I don't think that you can really get away from it without serious counseling and good management of the illness. I even think with solid management of the illness, one will often continue to struggle in life developing a true self-image and confidence in one's abilities. I would like to say that there's an easy fix or cure for the issue, but I cannot say that I've ever seen a one-size-fits-all solution. It takes time, it takes effort, and a retraining of the brain for even measured steps to begin to alter one's thinking in life. However, I had never been told that this is one of the symptoms of mental illness. I just thought it was a part of me. Now, this doesn't mean that if you have self-confidence issues that you will have a mental illness. It is actually one of the many symptoms that together signal the development of this illness. Now, the real question is, what can someone like me do who is suffering with mental illness and can see that self-confidence is actually a problem in their life? Now, my experiences with it is naturally going to be limited to what I know. For me, I had to get the illness under a reasonable management, and that meant medications and some counseling. Now, from there, I understood that I needed to more fully develop my relationship with my Father in Heaven and Savior. The reality of self-confidence and self-assurance is that it needs to develop upon a solid foundation and a true foundation of value. The world will never provide what is needed, and in fact, will always provide imitations that have serious limitations and weaknesses. One cannot cannot rely upon the world to tell you your value, and that at times is going to be true about even your close world, friends, and family. You need to be able to discern what is of value and what is not. 
And the reality is, is that the only relationship, that only a relationship with the Lord can truly tell you those things. What did I do? I committed more fully to reading the scriptures and learning from them. For me, I went to an hour of study instead of 30 minutes. Because we were close to a temple, I committed to attending the temple once a week. I took a serious look at how I was praying, what I should be asking, what I should be thinking, and how I should be listening. I took a serious look at personal revelation and asked the Lord how I could improve it. In so doing, I simply asked the Lord to show me how often he was influencing my life through revelation, that I might not be seeing or hearing as revelation. What I found is that the Lord was far more into the details of my life than I had ever experienced. I had missed so much of what he was saying because more often than not, I had attributed the thoughts, the experience, and information to myself or coincidence. Now, for a time, the Lord allowed me to see all of his influence, and actually it was very eye-opening. Those changes made a significant difference, although it took time. And time is going to be an important element in these changes to thought patterns. One final note about my experience was interesting. It was also during this same time frame that I took upon myself to referee high school basketball and umpire some baseball. I did so out of my interest and love of both the games and desiring to be more involved in the community. However, what I probably didn't see was the Lord was in that as well. One of the main issues with self-confidence and its development is your ability to sort through information provided by other people and to decide what is real and of value and what is simply nonsense and then be able to discard the nonsense. And that includes the emotional baggage with the nonsense. To be able to take criticism and other negative information and logically and emotionally sort through what to believe and what to simply just throw out, discard. Being a referee and umpire for eight years, as you might imagine, allowed me to work through many of these insecurities. However, I will admit, after my first game, I nearly quit the entire thing. Now, I realize that being a referee is not, ever, not on everyone's list, but I do believe that the Lord can provide experiences to help one sort out fears, doubts, and concerns and is able to teach. The important aspect in your development is really to learn to rely on the Lord for questions regarding value and changes or not that you need to make in your life. Now, I understand just how difficult self-doubt can be both inside the church and outside in the world. Self-doubt can be just as real as any other emotion and can drive one to extremes to overcome the problem or even redirect the emotions. The real answer to the problem is to avoid the comparison games of the world and also to ignore, for the most part, what others think of you. I know that can be difficult, and I think that for most of us who deal with mental illness, it's probably a lifelong process to get to the end of it. It's important to find stability in a relationship with our Father in Heaven and the Savior and understand not only your true value, but what the Lord thinks of you. I can assure you that he thinks far more positively of you than you do of yourself because he can see the potential and the abilities that are sometimes simply locked up by a disorder of the mind. I found that the Lord has always been truthful to me in every way, including what I need to improve, but the Lord never speaks in destructive negative tones where your value and abilities are questioned. You can be sure that Lucifer only speaks this way. The Lord is positive and constructive in his communications. His intent is to buoy you up, meaning to support you from drowning in your own thoughts and feelings. 
Now, I don't like to talk about Lucifer, but in kind of closing this one out, I would like to talk about Lucifer and his attending angels. Now, but with self-worth and confidence, it is important to understand Lucifer's tactics. Anything that tells you that you have little value or that you don't measure up or that your life isn't worth living or anything of the sort is Lucifer's domain. This is one area of the illness where he seems to have a greater access to the mind and emotions. The pressure is going to be constant and often unyielding to good outside spiritual influences. That is why it is so important to understand outwardly that those feelings are not reality and have no value to you or anyone else. I know that it might just be a small victory to understand that feelings of worthlessness, depression, anxiety for spiritual welfare and those that accompany it are really in it are not part of reality, but at times it can help you to sort things out. I can tell those who are listening and who suffer that unequivocally, they are of great value to the Lord. And I know this because he has blessed you with such a unique illness, a illness which he fully understands. Now, my petition is that you simply go to the Lord, have him help you to see your value and help you to understand who you are and then to listen. If you are struggling, get a blessing and feel how much the Lord really cares for you and that he wants you within his group. Now, may the Lord bless you and your endeavors and difficult and your work with this self-doubt. And always remember that the Lord requires a fight, and then he can do his part. Till next time.